0: Hi, everyone. This is Katherine Adams and Elizabeth Wallace. And you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 346. And tonight, well, we would be on schedule with a Night Vale recap, but there is no Night Vale in January because there is always not a Night Vale in January. And it always surprises us. Every time. So we had actually two things we want to talk about real quick. We're going to talk about the season premiere of season two of Umbrella Academy, because Catherine just watched it. And then we're going to get into Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, because Catherine also just watched that, and we felt like it deserved an episode to talk about it. It did. And also, I'm kind of amazed that I said that I was going to watch two things before the next episode, and then I watched them. Amazing. Wow. 2023. Starting off strong. Yes. trying to, anyway. But yeah. yeah, Okay. So I- I think we need to put a gigantic spoiler warning i almost feel like we need like lights and bells and whistles or something about all the spoilers Mm -hmm. because we can't really talk about either of these things without spoiling the hell out of it oh yeah so we're going to spoil all the things yeah so um gosh umbrella academy uh we ended the last season with five having to drag everybody out of time in order to survive the oncoming apocalypse and he drops them In Dallas in the 1960s, but not the same year. He somehow manages to accidentally scatter them across about three or four years, I think, Mm -hmm. 1960 Mm -hmm. to 1963. So yeah, gosh, that was um, quite a way to start it. And then everybody has to try to find themselves. Yes, yes. Now, what was it that you told me about watching the very first episode and how that first episode started? Yeah, I said, okay, Umbrella Academy, season two, ten minutes into the first episode, and almost every main character is dead. Hell of a way to start. Yeah, yeah, they really get the stakes set up right from the very get-go. But it's just, I mean, I love how attached we are to the characters even though none of them are perfect. Some of them are so unlikable in such like, we're not talking about like Mary Sue levels of unlikability. It's like, oh, they're so dedicated. They work themselves to death. Well, no, I mean, they're honestly like really irritating in a lot of ways. And you still like them a lot. You do. Yes, yeah, seeing the whole thing with Klaus and... um the, uh, the deceased brother, Ben, um, number Ooh. six, just traveling along. And they have obviously got on each other's nerves to the point where I think Ben pretty much sets up Klaus to be arrested in 1963 Dallas by the end of the episode, which can't be good because he's dressed as some hippie cult leader and he's out in the backwoods. So I'm like, oh, oh this is going to be bad. I forget. How far did his story go in that first episode? Just to there, just to him getting arrested because he, like, he had has a car and he's been ignoring um, Ben's suggestion to like get it, taken care of. So it dies in the middle of nowhere. So he goes into a bar with a bunch of rednecks and plays poker. And meanwhile, he's pissed off Ben so much that Ben pretends to tell him who's bluffing in the poker game so that he can get <laughs> the guy's keys. And it turns out he's lying. So he loses. So Ben just has to grab the keys and make a run for it and gets arrested for car theft at the end. So yeah, I, he's, yeah. he's not doing so well. And Klaus is really being Like, even more self-centered than he was when he was entirely on drugs uh, last season. I think you're really going to enjoy his storyline. I mean, it just goes, obviously, the story goes to such bonkers places, but Klaus is my favorite. I just love him. He's so, the actor who plays him just does a phenomenal job. I've loved him since the first season when I think it was Diego was trying to tell everybody his theory, but it turns out his theory was that one of his family members murdered their dad and they're obviously pissed at it. And they all just kind of like stomp away. And Diego's like, no, wait guys, come on in classes. It's fine. It's fine. I just got to go murder mom. (laughs) As soon as I heard that, I thought, oh yeah, I love him. He's wonderful. But everybody is really fun. And it's so, I love the fact we've said this before, but of course, Elliot Page is, you know, in this season as well. But this was before Elliot Page had transitioned. But I love the fact now Netflix has done some shitty things in the past. So I'm not going to forgive him for that. But the fact that they went back to the credits and the credits, even in this season, all say Elliot Page. I think that's wonderful. And Elliot Page has a great storyline in this first episode. She seems to be one of the ones that just kind of like fell on her feet when landing in 1960s Dallas. She got clobbered by a car who happens to be driven by a woman who's really nice and takes her in. And meanwhile, um, Oh, sorry. It's Vanya, the character that Elliot is playing, uh, has no memory, which is probably good because her last memory would have been like being betrayed by her entire family. But she's just like, she's been taken and I guess she's acting as a sort of like governess to their special needs son or whatever, and really bonding with the mother who seems like a great person. I thought, oh, how is this going to go horribly bad for Vanya, which everything does. I was about to say, just you wait. Oh, my goodness. It's interesting that that has kicked off a storyline that's still going to be going on in the season after the one that you're watching as wow. well. So, yeah, yeah, very fun. Very cool. And meanwhile, Allison, uh, when she got abandoned, she found somebody and got married. And she seems mm-hmm. to be very much in love with him. He's played by the actor who played one of the witches in the originals. I, I was just going to say, if you, I was going to ask if you remembered it. Yeah, he does a really good job too. I mean, talk about just like, a nice good person, you know? He really is just a good person. But of course, they're leading, um, a revolution of a sort, they're going to be doing a sit in in Dallas in the 1960s. Ugh, that has a chance to go so very wrong. And mm-hmm. I think she's trying to temper her husband's expectation because she knows what happens in 1963, the president gets assassinated. Yes, yes. And, yeah. And then remind me later on, because I've been listening to a podcast, the, um, the Comfort Blanket podcast. Yes. And there was something with that date that I need to bring up later. But anyway, um, God, who else? Diego, of course, lands and immediately tries to do the hero thing of he's going to save the president from getting assassinated. And he ends up in an institution because everybody thinks he's crazy, because of course they do. Yes. Well, to be honest, all of those siblings are just to a degree, a bit crazy. Yes. What It was so interesting with the fact that he's sitting in group therapy, and the doctor's talking to him. And now, of course, the doctor think that's, that he's delusional, of course, because he's so determined that the president's going to get assassinated. I know. Don't ask me how I know. And at the same time, he's talking about the fact that you're still in opposition with a father who's been dead for years. And your first impulse is to go out and be the hero that he had wanted you to be. And I'm like... Wow, he's actually kind of getting it on the nose there. Oh, he is absolutely getting. I mean, the fact that he thinks he's delusional is just, you know, one tiny little aspect. He gets everything else right. He nails everything. Yeah, yeah. So, and meanwhile, Diego is kind of bonding with this crazy woman uh and they have an escape attempt because assassins show up to try to murder everybody and <laughs> his fellow crazy person she actually seems to be holding her own so and that was kind of fun to watch yeah and then luther of course ends up becoming like a boxer kind of like a prize fighter, bare knuckle bonds boxer in an underground fighting ring something like that because i think he's decided that's all he knows or that's all he's good for with his physique yep 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 a lot of moving pieces and i'm just sitting here i'm like oh that's right this is oh yeah that's you don't even know about (laughs) (laughs) but meanwhile meanwhile five you know he's everybody kind of gets dropped you know in 1960 1961 1963 Five drops and he looks around and he's in the middle of a war zone in Dallas and apparently the Russians have attacked but it's his siblings who are all fighting these American soldiers and it all looks so, so freaking badass the entire time. They're all using all their powers and you can even see Ben who's doing that eldritch tentacle ghostly thing on top of a building and uh, Allison looks at a couple of soldiers and said I heard a rumor. I blew your minds and their heads explode. <laughs> yeah, this uh this show doesn't shy away from the violence in a lot of places. I don't think they linger on the gore too much, but yeah, they get violent. But um Hazel shows up and you know, he has his time traveling briefcase and he drags five out of there and he has a moment to tell him that Okay so his you know donut shop wife girlfriend whatever she died mm-hmm. of cancer but they lived together for 20 years before that happened which is really nice I wanted a happy ending for the both of them and you know cancer's not so great but 20 years is nice Yeah yeah I remember you telling me you were just like oh I'm just waiting for Hazel's heart to get broken and I was like Well, technically it does, but not the way you think it does. Not the way you think it was. But as they're sitting there talking, suddenly those same assassins that attacked Diego show up and start firing. And Hazel tells Five, just go get out of here and shoves the briefcase at him. And they kill Hazel. Yes. and, And meanwhile, Five like manages to jump away as a bomb gets dropped on Dallas and all of his siblings die. And that's the beginning of the episode. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. So just having the time travel element in there is neat, but I love the fact that they do make it so freaking unpredictable, because, you know, those briefcases are apparently very accurate. They'll take you exactly where you want to go. Uh, Five's ability, not so accurate. You really don't know exactly. I mean, he's really good at where. I think he could just really do a precision jump to wherever he wants. When, not so much. No, no. I guess it's kind of probably lucky that everybody didn't end up like in a childlike form or something, which is what happened to him when he jumped back to his family. Yeah, yeah. Which I love that scene at the very end of season one when he's like, you know, hang on, this could get messy. And it's like, you're going around the circle. And as you make a second pass around the circle, everybody's in their kid form and everything. I'm like, I don't know why I like that. I just thought that was cool. (laughs) But the first season was all about them trying to stop the apocalypse, only to find out that they were the ones that caused the apocalypse in the first place. So now... The second episode, Five Has Ten Days, to stop another apocalypse that was apparently caused by his family Mm -hmm. member. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. wow. I'm imagining that the writer has more twists and turns for that particular storyline. Yeah. And I never read the comic book. This is based on, I tried it at one point and couldn't quite get into it. Um, But I, I would really like to hear from anybody who has read the comic, how closely is this story matching to the comic book? And no, I don't insist that it has to match perfectly, but I am curious because it gets really super complicated. (laughs) Okay, so that's enough for Umbrella Academy. Now we're going to jump into Glass Onion, which I had told you right at the beginning. I was like, okay, there's a scene at the very beginning that I think you're just going to find delightful. Um, But you didn't even notice what I had noticed the first time you watched it. No, I thought you were talking about those wonderful puzzle boxes that all the characters have to solve, which I really, really loved. And then seeing one person, after all of that, seeing everybody going through all these different steps to solve the puzzle boxes, and then you flash on another character who's just staring at the box, and she leaves the room, and she comes back with a hammer and beats it to death and gets the invitation out that way. And I thought, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yes. No, I completely missed the fact that um, Blanc was in the bathtub on a Zoom call playing a game with four friends. And one of the friends was Angela Lansbury. And I yes. missed it. Like, I, I, I was distracted because I saw Natasha Leone from Russian Doll. And that was who I was focusing on. So it was... It was um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Angela yes. Lansbury and freaking Steven Sontime, who yeah, has yeah. been like best friends with Angela Lansbury, I think since before they did um, uh, Sweeney Todd. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, and then Natasha Leone, who's like the most recent star. And of course, she was the person I focused on, duh. Well, yeah, I guess she has a real good relationship with Ray Johnson. So that's one of the reasons why she was in there. Um, I just... I think, I know that that was Angela Lansbury's last movie role, but mm-hmm. I think that may have been Soundheim's last appearance as well, which is crazy. I was reading the IMDb trivia. God love you, IMDb trivia. Oh, and all goodness. 67 spoiler trivia notifications. Mm-hmm. God, wow. I, had, I had to like take a little extra time before this podcast to read through all of those. But uh, Natasha Lyonne was apparently being interviewed, and someone asked her what it was like to be, you know, participating in the very last performance by Stephen Sondheim and Angela Lansbury. And apparently, one of her responses was, I, you know, you can't prove anything. I didn't have anything to do with that, you know, like them dying. So, (laughs) but no, she actually said that it was amazing to be part of that. And She'll, we'll probably have to wait until she's 70, she said, before she can find out if she measures up to the two of them. And I'm Aww. like, that's, that's a good response. It was. I just, I love that whole bathtub scene, it was very fun. Um, now, I don't think they show it to you immediately, um, but later on, you do see there's a knock at the door and there's somebody in the house who's, like, calling for Blanc and everything. And it's like, i going to answer the door and everything. And the door opens, and it's Hugh Grant, which, what a hell of a cameo <laughs> right there. But the fact that they're basically implying that that's Blanc's boyfriend, I thought that was lovely. It was adorable, yes. Someone interviewed Hugh Grant about that. And he, because he, it was, people were saying, oh, is it true? Are they just maybe hinting at it or toying with that? And Hugh Grant said, yes, I'm married to James Bond. Oh, <laughs> just awesome. And another fun thing that this movie did, did was and it is true. It's one of the few things that you've seen, where you have like a major TV show or movie that's actually talking about the pandemic. Yes, and it was actually it was a little jarring to see people show up wearing masks. And so you're like, oh my god, they're wearing masks. This is like, this is like a pandemic kind of focused production in a way and I don't know why that startled me but it's true you really haven't seen that a lot the other place that I saw it and it startled me exactly as much there was the comic book series Die Mm -hmm. uh, Stephanie Hans did a lot of the art um Kyron Gillen I hope I said his name right and there's a spot right near the end of that series the characters have been away and some of the characters make it back and they're dropped into modern day at the middle of the night, and they are so confused because they try and go into a convenience store, which won't let them in because none of them have masks. And oh, like, wow. Like, what are you talking about? So yeah, it was Ooh, like, that's a nice had touch. no idea what was happening. Yeah, it was really, it was very interesting. So yeah, I liked that they had that happen. But then they immediately, I guess, I don't know if you'd call it lampshaded or whatever, by having this ultra rich guy give them each this shot that's in the back of their throats. And he's like, yeah, you're fine. You won't need masks anymore. That's it. And then and then you're done. That's it for the rest of the movie. Except for the fact that Claire, the politician, freaks out when somebody gets murdered and they're calling the police. And she's wondering how that's going to look when you know she, a candidate for governor, went off to a private island in the middle of a pandemic. Also... Yeah. The trivia pointed out that how everybody was wearing the masks really displayed Mm -hmm. their character. The scientist, he has the N95 mask on and is doing like the six foot social distancing. So he's absolutely sticking the rules. Politician Claire has a mask on that she keeps letting slip down over her nose. So she's really only concerned about appearances. Um, Birdie has basically a veil on, so you can still see her face. Um, Duke and Whiskey, neither of them are wearing masks at all. And then of course, you've got the rich person Miles sending out a flunky to deliver a shot that of course is going to protect them. But as we find out through the course of the movie, spoilers, Miles is an idiot and he doesn't test everything properly. So you have no idea if that shot was gonna be harmful or what if it would even work. No, no, I imagine like a follow up to this movie is how many people came down with COVID? You know, how many (laughs) of your guests after this? So at least they were in something of a bubble. I love the fact that Bertie's having this huge party and somebody even asked her on the phone is like, Is it okay if you have a party? She's like, Oh, they're all in my bubble and I'm like, Oh no, they're not <laughs> yeah. So the thing that I messaged you when I started watching this movie, I said, "Okay, we're ten minute. No, we're something like ten or forty nine minutes, and something like that." And and Benoit Blanc has already solved the mystery. Yes, hell of a way to start. Yeah. Yeah. So the said. whole thing had been Miles, the rich guy, has summoned all of his friends over for a murder mystery that he's got everything planned out, and Benoit Blanc solves it instantly he doesn't even bother like waiting for anything he just says oh obviously it was birdie and it was because this because of this pendant and i can see that this crossbow is aimed at you and he finished it up right for the fake crossbow to shoot miles in the chest and little fake blood spurting out and i thought oh my god that's embarrassing and brilliant it's just wonderful and the funny thing is is that at first i was just like oh you know benoit he's just you know, it's he's brilliant, but he doesn't always understand the social niceties and everything, and he totally tromped all over this guy's thing. But we find out later that Benoit Blanc is not there just as a regular guest and everything. He always had an ulterior motive this whole time. So I just love to think that he was just like, I'm going to screw with this guy, and I'm going to ruin his mystery. <laughs> <laughs> that, and he was telling his friends who were worried that he was kind of freaking out with being in lockdown and having nothing to do. And he says, I don't want a puzzle. And the last thing I need is a vacation. And then the next thing you see is him showing up after having gotten a box delivered to him by somebody mm-hmm. and to a tropical island where he's been invent- invited after solving a puzzle to play a game on a vacation. And I didn't even think about that until afterwards. you like, Oh, he would have had to have something else, some yep. other reason to be there. And this yep. is the part that blew my mind about the movie. Because, of course, Miles invited all of these people for a murder mystery. Every one of them is indebted to him and dependent on him. And he's asking all of them to do stuff that they don't want to do. To, like, push a product that's not safe. To, like, not complain about something when he's backing their political career. To take the fall for running a freaking sweatshop. job oh, I think I just loved I mean um, so what's her name Birdie um, Birdie who's the actress who plays her oh god I can't uh, remember uh, we bang. could look this up but why would we prepare I'm gonna look it up hang a minute and of course her assistant who is awesome and she was another one of the people Amazing. that um was wearing a mask she had just like an absolute workaday mask on and never takes it off the entire time because she is nope. so worried about everything. Yep, yep, yep. But it's, um, uh, Kate Hudson who did such a great job in playing like this. I mean, she's so lovely. She's just gorgeous and she's very glamorous and everything, but she is just dumb as a box of rocks. She and contributes nothing in that entire scene where they're trying to solve Miles's oh, yeah. puzzle box. Everybody else has, has something to contribute except for her. Yeah. And, the fact that she's going to take the fall for these, like, sweatpants. She has a line of sweatpants. Lots of people have, you know, famous people have, like, lines of clothing. So hers is a line of sweatpants. And there was actually an email that her assistant didn't know about. Her assistant controls her phone, but, of course, Bertie has a secret phone, where someone had sent her an email saying, okay, regarding this factory you've chosen, it's just a very well-known, you know, kind of infamous sweatshop. And she responded with, sounds great, thanks. And her assistant's like, oh, no. Did you think sweatshop meant a place where they make sweatpants? sweatpants. <laughs> oh. It's just, I love, I love somebody who can play endearing and really stupid like that. And she does such a great job. I feel like I, I dragged myself off in a tangent. I was talking about the fact that Miles had invited everybody to play this murder mystery, and yet they are all... Have some reason to actually want him dead, I yes, think, to make yes. it easier for their lives. Where the hell was I going with that afterwards? I have no idea. Oh, I have no clue. But I don't it, know. it turns out that one of the people that he invited was his ex girlfriend, Miles' ex girlfriend, um, Andy, uh, short yes. for Cassandra, who they'd had a terrible breakup and he had taken the entire company with him and left her with absolutely nothing. And there was some idea that she had created the company in the first place, but that he had lied about it. So we go through all of this and the murder mystery, and then um, Dave Bautista's character dies. Just... Uh freaking out of nowhere just chokes to death and dies in front of everybody everybody's freaking out miles is freaking out blanc is like running around and then he finds andy because um uh uh, duke dave Batista's character's uh, girlfriend whiskey comes screaming that it was andy that she killed duke yeah so everyone's like terrified and running around and blanc finds andy and he's trying to tell her Everything was so... It was in front of our faces the entire time. There's just one more thing we need to identify, and you're the only way can do it. Boom! She gets shot and dies. And I'm like, holy crap, what just happened? And then things get weird. Yes, and that's where you figure out like all the different conversations that you've been hearing through the entire first half of the movie. We never had all of the information. The scene would either start a little bit too late or end a little bit too early. And there was always some extra little piece. Like for example, one of the things I loved was that Dave Batista at one point, you see him clearly watch his girlfriend whiskey have sex with miles and you see Dave Patista's like his, his fist like gripping and rage and everything later on you see he's gone to his girlfriend because he knows that miles likes his girlfriend and he really needs like to be placed on this one news channel he needs miles to put him on there and so he's told his girlfriend he's like i swear i won't ask you to do it again you've got it so the whole time she's hooking up with miles it's because he had asked her to do that to try and get miles to put her on this tv show him on this TV show excuse me getting all confused and the the fist gripping in rage was the fact that Miles was just like, I cannot put this alpha male asshole on this channel. There's no way I'm gonna do that. And it's just it's that that little bit of extra information kind of blew my mind. I'm like, oh yeah, that totally changes the entire dynamic. It does, it does. But what changes everything the most of all is you finally see who brings the puzzle box. To Blanc, because Miles didn't send one to the world famous detective. So somebody else had to have sent their box to him afterwards so he would have the invitation. So you see Blanc come to the door after Hugh Grant's character calls him there, and it's Andy. Except it's not Andy. It's Andy's yeah. twin sister, Helen. And do you get that? Cassandra, Helen from, uh, yep. from the Battle of Troy? That's oh, very yeah, clever. Oh, totally, yeah, totally. The Cassandra thing alone is just like, because one of the reasons why he took the company away from her is he's developed this new thing called Clear, spelled with a K. Anytime they spell something with a K, that means it's evil. I've heard that. <laughs> um, and she was like, it's not ready, it's not ready. And she's trying to tell everybody what's going on, and no one will listen to Nobody her. Nobody so will listen. So she's Cassandra. Yep. So her twin sister shows up with at Benoit Blanc with a smashed up puzzle. And I thought, oh, she must have found that. And it turns out her sister had committed suicide in a car with a bunch of uh, sleeping pills and everything. And then you find out she goes to, she went to her sister's place and she looked all over and she couldn't find a note from her sister. So she doesn't think that she'd have done that. And then she said, and then suddenly this puzzle box shows up. I'm like, oh my God, we have never actually seen Andy this entire time. It's always nope. been her twin sister, Helen. She was dead the entire time. The I'm entire like, time. Man. And the trivia pointed out that when Benoit Blanc shows Miles his invitation, one Corner is Bent, which happened when Helen beat the puzzle box to death and dragged the uh, invitation out of there. And let me tell you, Janelle Monet, she plays yeah. um, Andy and Helen. Oh, she's great. Oh, she's she does so delightful to watch. Oh, and she's so pretty. Oh, my goodness. She's just gorgeous. But yeah, I love the fact that it's like, Helen was like a school teacher. I mean, she's not a dummy, obviously, but she wasn't brilliant like Andy was. So that makes it even more fun that the puzzle box shows up and she just was like, well, I'm not going to figure this out. And she just destroys it with a hammer. I'm like, that's wonderful. And that was, I mean, I'm, I'm going to keep going back to the uh, IMDb trivia while it's fresh in my mind, but the puzzle boxes themselves, the trivia pointed out um, Duke Dave Bautista's character, his mother is shouting the answers at him all the time, yep. like it's a Fibonacci sequence or just yep. all of this stuff. So she's seeing it automatically. And they pointed out the chess, um, the chess move, like you had to move the the, the pegs, you know, is a fool's mate. It is something that can only happen if your opponent is so stupid that they actually set it up for you by accident. So all yep. of this, and like, and the puzzle boxes might not have actually been all that complicated to begin with and and it wasn't even stuff that Miles had created and he hadn't thought up the whole murder mystery, all of this stuff was a rich person who had connections and the money to pay other people to make his ideas look good and that's where we get to the idea that people have said obviously Miles is Elon Musk and apparently that's not the case, that Rian Johnson had been thinking of this for quite a long time before elon musk bought twitter and like made an ass of himself i yeah but i mean i know he wasn't referencing the current twitter thing because that happened fairly recently and this movie's been in production for a while but i think he had to have at least thought of elon musk a few times while he was making this character i mean just the idea of somebody like i'm sorry elon bros if you're listening to this i'm i'm sure you've got lots of reasons to like the guy but it does sometimes seem like he's a guy who will just throw out ideas and then let other people who are much smarter than him actually make those ideas happen. Like if you put Elon Musk into a room with some of this technology, how much would he understand? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. Whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, I that my first indication that Elon Musk might not be as smart or as stable as he pretends to be was with the um the rescue of those soccer players from that yeah. submerged cavern. And yeah. Elon Musk, for some reason, decides to pick a fight with one of the rescuers and call him a child molester on Twitter. And I'm just watching this going, what are you doing? What is? What could this possibly be an aid of to do that? And it's just it's just somebody who's rich acting on impulse with nobody around to tell him maybe don't, that he could yeah. respect enough to, to believe. And that was Edward Norton's character in this. Yes, And it was fun to watch. You're right. I don't know that I've seen Edward Norton... Um, play this kind of character. Although apparently he did something similar in the Italian job, I think, which yeah, is somebody who doesn't... It's been a while since I've seen that I one. haven't yeah. ever seen that. Apparently his character doesn't really have a lot of his own ideas. He just like gloms off of other people's ideas. Yeah, yeah. I, I almost feel like I need to rewatch that one. I remember it being kind of fun, just a pretty much... It's a heist movie, you know. But yeah, it's... <laughs> So on a side note, I finally watched the Jeremy Renner Born movie. I think it's probably because Jeremy Renner's in the hospital, and I feel bad for him. So. Yeah, Born Legacy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's not a great movie. There's, no. there's way too much talking. The stunts are pretty amazing. Though. Oh, my Just God. That really- entire scene, I actually have that saved on my playlist in uh, YouTube, where he rescues the other main character from the assassins that are sent to kill her. And like... Yeah punching, like kicking a table into people's face and like killing somebody with a, a nail set inside a fire extinguisher and then like doing this parkour thing where he almost like flows up the side of a building and then shoots oh, yeah. somebody at the last section. And I'm like, oh, that's just amazing to watch all of it's that. It's very so much fun. They needed more jeremy renner kicking things in people's faces and less talking and yeah. edward norton was wasted in that role i don't that's understand. that's exactly yeah. i don't understand what they why they even cast him for that all he did was talk to people in a room full of computers yeah yeah the whole time i mean i'm just like oh god this is taking so long oh man so yeah it was really fun to see edward norton just really get some good acting chops because he's so slimy and oh sorry oh, nope. a siren going by everybody drink that one of the things that they set up this entire time with Edward Norton's character was the way he was misusing words, but I never, I just didn't pay attention to it. When he said, like, we need to really abbreviate this moment and everything, I didn't think that it was him being an idiot. I thought it was just him being a rich asshole who was, like, coming up with, like, hoity-toity, new-agey words or whatever. No, he did it so many times, he's just dumb and doesn't have really good vocabulary, but he keeps trying to pretend like he's really smart. But when Blanc realized who the murderer actually was, and it just you could see his character getting so frustrated because he'd been thinking too complicated. He hadn't realized that all this was being done by an idiot and Miles, and they even show, and I need to watch the movie again to see if I can catch this that he does stuff in plain sight. He hands Duke the glass that has pineapple in it that Duke is allergic to. He takes the gun. He steals the phone. Apparently, you can even see Duke's phone, like the top of it, in Miles's pocket because the pocket isn't big enough to hold it. But you're not paying attention to any of that the entire time. Nope, nope, nope. It's just classic misdirection. You know, there's something going on. It's like how magicians work and everything. They just have to have you pay attention to just one other thing while something else is going on in here but yeah there there was so much of that going on in there and it was really but they also misdirected you like with certain characters like the character of whiskey you know she's this beautiful woman she's with duke even though duke is clearly like this alpha male asshole type of person everything and you kind of get this idea that she's just she's just as brainless as birdie and just as shallow and everything. But you see her talking to Helen in the disguise of Andy and they're just walking together. And she's just so like, she's not like simpering. She's not like cloying. She was like, you know what? I, I didn't like what they did to you. I watched the trial. You really got shafted on that. And, you know, and it's just like an honestly nice person. Yeah. And even we're talking about the fact that all the other people that they call themselves the disruptors And, you know, she said, Yeah, they do this every year. Last year, we went like on a cruise on a yacht. And Helen says, Oh, that must have been fun. And she said, Not really. When they're all together, it's kind of a bit much. I thought, Oh, wow, this is just like, she's being honest, but she's not being shitty about it. So and and my goodness, she was pretty. I mean, good heavens. That's all. That's one of those things where you're like, is that Photoshop? She can't possibly look that nice. I don't know. I love that moment when Bertie was about ready to go into the pool. She said, oh, I don't think I'll go into the pool. And then you see Whiskey going in the pool and <laughs> Bertie's like, I'm just going to stay and get some sun for a bit instead. <laughs> and she was so completely shown up by her. But yeah, that was fun. Uh, and I, I think the um, the red herring in the entire movie was the character of Daryl, the uh, person that Miles had sleeping on his couch. Oh yeah, he's going through some things. And every once in a while, Daryl will just wander through snagging on something. Hi, I'm not here. And he had nothing to do with anything. No, no, he was there. I kept on waiting for him to have like a point in the movie. No, he was totally like a hey, distraction. <laughs> he <was just laughs> man alive. And speaking of distraction, of course, we see Andy, obviously Helen get shot and killed and everything. No, I mean, she had her notebook, which managed to catch the bullet that someone had shot at her, which even the trivia pointed out, it's like, it is possibly a little much to expect a little notebook to stop a bullet. However, someone did shoot it through the glass, which would have slowed it down a lot. And I'm like, I appreciate that level of detail, both in planning that out, if they did, and also in like a trivia person being like, here's a way it could have happened that and you had seen when she got shot and (sighs) Blanc gets up from the body. And he's obviously he's got tears in his eyes. And he's just devastated because it was his idea, I think, for her to come do this the entire time. Well, then he flashback right after she gets shot and realizes that the book stopped the bullet. And he, like, reaches into his pocket and he pulls out the hot sauce that Miles had had that he gets a case every year from Jeremy Renner. Oh, my so God, I love random. that. <laughs> so random. I'm like, why Jeremy Renner? Why not? Why the no. hell not? So he just splashes hot sauce on her shirt to make it look like blood. And then he puts a little bit in his eyes so that he's crying. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Oh, man, that was just brilliant. I did like that. Now, when you watched that, you said that there were some parts that could be plot holes if you thought about it too much. What was one of the things you thought of? Because I'm wondering if the trivia addressed some of it. I don't know that they did. I, I don't know if plot holes is the right word. I have to feel like the bit with the napkin and the diagram on the napkin, mm-hmm. I felt it was like a little flimsy to hang the whole mystery on, you know? I mean, that was... That was a bit of a MacGuffin towards the whole Oh thing my God, it's the tactical it's the definition of a MacGuffin. You don't see what's written on it. No. You just know it is what is driving the entire plot exactly. existence. So what it is, is it's the original diagram that Andy had drawn to base the whole company on. And when Miles took the company away from her, he had his own copy of the napkin to say, no, 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 I, have, I was the one who drew all this. And then later she finds her copy. Copy and sends a picture to all the disruptors saying, I'm taking everybody down, and that's the motive for her to be killed. And so, what Helen was trying to find, because the napkin, uh, Andy's copy of the napkin disappeared, and so that's what Helen's trying to find this whole time. And I'm like, I don't know, doesn't that seem like that? miles's character would be able to use something like that as proof that he owned an entire company and that she had her own copy of it and you knew it was her copy of it because it actually had the glass onion bar logo on the bottom of like okay all this makes sense it really does but i'm like i wanted something more solid than that I really <laughs> yes. like, it's a drawing on a napkin it just doesn't feel quite as i don't know anyway that was my thing i was just like Really? So it's the napkin that's going to prove everything. Okay. All right. Well, of course, Miles burns the napkin in front of Helen like he should. Yes. I mean, everybody was like looking at him when they realized he had stolen that. And they're like, you didn't you didn't burn it? And like, right. that is true, because both Helen and Blanc thought that one of the other disruptors had murdered her sister and had stolen it to bring it to Miles at this yeah. event to prove their loyalty to him. Yeah. But no, he had kept it, and then he had like hidden it in plain sight in a picture that was drawn with a Fibonacci sequence, which I thought was a nice well, which just, nod in the lovely. trivia. Yeah, yeah, that's rather that's very fun. But he burns it in front of her, and then Blanc tells her that she just, she, he, he hands her a glass, and he says, I'm going to give you a, a glass of liquor, and he says, I'm going to give you some liquid courage and remind you why your sister left in the first place. And you don't see, but he hands her a little chunk of that clear, that which is, it turns out it's like crystallized hydrogen, I think, or something that's Mm -hmm. supposedly stable, but in fact, it is releasing hydrogen particles and basically turning everything into the Hindenburg. So now, why did... I mean, obviously, it was incredibly satisfying to watch Helen smash all of Miles' glass statues all over the place. that was so fun. That was was so fun. Was Was that misdirection, so that when she started smashing up the liquor cabinet, it would just look like she's continuing the destruction? I think that's what it was, yeah. It was definitely, and also to get everybody kind of, I don't know, everybody's sort of mob mentality kind of joined in with the smashing, because none of them really like Miles, because he's got their balls in a vice, you know? And so just to kind of, like, get that rage out there, I think was part of it. But I think for the most part, it was it was completely misdirection. So she smashes up the liquor cabinet, and then she lights the spilled liquor on fire. And then she holds up the little piece of clear and tosses it in there. And he had said earlier on that clear was powering the entire building. Everything on the island was being powered by that, which meant there was hydrogen everywhere. And when that big of a fire went off, boom, the entire building just goes up. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that would be the other little tiny plot hole. Nobody was even slightly injured by the explosion. Nobody was injured. No, she didn't tell everybody to get out before I blow up the building. No, but everybody was in the building when it blew up and nobody was even scratched. So that was like... Maybe a little bit of a plot hole there, but that's fine. It was really dramatic and fun. Yeah, but the last, the thing that I'm wondering how well this would go off in real life is her last fuck you to Miles was that he had the Mona Lisa in his building. And he had had it installed because, of course, nobody was traveling to the Louvre because it's the middle of a pandemic. So he was able to pay them an awful lot of money in order to borrow it rent it mm-hmm. and he had a whole case for it that was like you know pressure sensitive and sealed everything away but he had installed a override on a little Hummel figurine that would let him open it so he could see it without having to look through the glass and yep. everything's burning Every and she suddenly bolts for the little Hummel figurine and nobody's able to stop her in time and she opens it and it destroys the Mona Lisa the Mona I Lisa know, like, burns Ooh. to pieces and I'm like I, I honestly don't really feel like I fetishize artwork quite that much. And yet that like physically hurts that idea. Yeah. That's like, oh my God, it's gone forever. I know. That was my thought when it happened. I was like, there was almost this feeling of, oh, oh can they do that? Oh my God, they can. They just destroyed the Mona Lisa. Oh my God. I mean, I know they didn't really, but it like, even in a movie, it felt like, is that too far? <laughs> it does feel like it's too far. But that was her revenge. Is that it? She proved that that clear um, fuel source was completely unstable. Nobody should use it. And because he insisted on using it, he barbecued the Mona Lisa. And his dream, he had this weird saying about he wants to be remembered in the same breath as the Mona Lisa, which doesn't make any sense. He's a he's an entrepreneur, and that's a. Piece of artwork, anyway. But well, whatever. Yeah. But yeah. But no. Now everyone will forever remember him as the person who caused the destruction of the Mona Lisa. And I imagine, you know, France would probably take everything he owns. Oh, because he completely bypassed all of their insurance rules about making sure this was kept safely under glass the entire time. Yeah, uh, yeah. And obviously, it, because he's an idiot, and he took away the safeguards, and you know, was under he had the insurance and all that kind of stuff. I guess that, no, that that's actually answered by the fact that it's like, okay, um, so yeah, France is going to be really pissed at him, but they probably wouldn't be really happy with Helen either, because if she hadn't hit that, that figurine, it still would have been okay. But we forget that because of everything that had happened, you know, the disruptors would never help Andy and they wouldn't even agree to help Helen. You know, Miles is like, you know, they're going to do what I tell them to do. They'll lie and say, you know, like they didn't see the napkin before I burned it. They didn't see me poison Duke and everything. And they're all like really sheepish. But they're like, yeah, he's right. You know, we're going to lie and and say whatever he wants us to. But after everything happens and the Mona Lisa is burned down, they all come to a point where they're like, yeah, we're going to lie and say that we saw all the things. So obviously, they'll lie and say that it wasn't Helen who destroyed the Mona Lisa. And that's what I'm hoping. Yeah, because they don't really make that clear. They just see, you know, Helen going back down to the coast and the police are finally arriving from when they called after Duke got uh, murdered. And uh Uh Blanc asked her, did you get the bastard? And she says, yeah, I did. So, and that's where you end the movie. <laughs> I thought for it. sure there'd be a, a credit sequence or something, but nope, that was nope. it. That's the end. They're saying that this is like now between Knives Out and this, it's, you know, Blanc teams up with a plucky young woman to help solve a mystery. And I'm like, I like it. I think it's great. I like it. And for two movies in a row now, the body count is two. Yep. yep. <laughs> two people get killed oh, and that's it, man. Oh, side note, by the way, um, What's her face from the first Knives Out movie? The young woman who's and, like the Anna main Anna de character. Armas. Yeah. She's in the final um, James Bond movie, No Time to Die uh-huh. and everything. She's not in it for very long. She's freaking delightful. She's really? Like, she's great. I love everything. <laughs> to say. And it's a blink and you'll miss it. She's not in the movie for very long, but she makes such an impact. So I'm like, highly recommend just for her scenes. I was watching. I was like... That's the woman from the first Knives Out. Boy, she's doing a great job. She's really <laughs> well, good. I loved her in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and I loved her Ooh. in Knives Out. So yeah. yeah, I'm I'm willing to watch her in all the things now. Oh yeah, she's great. Oh, is there any other plot points that we missed this whole time? I'm sure so much going I, on. I'm not kidding, guys. Sixty seven trivia entries just in the spoilers section on IMDb. Ooh. You need to read that because they go into depth about. Everything about all the twists about how, well, when this happened, it really means this. And you can see when that happens, it's actually this overarching theme of this. And you just, oh, so much, way too much to list. And, and we're already at 45 minutes on this podcast now. Oh my now, so. goodness, holy crap. <laughs> oh, wow, so here. But I guess that is probably gonna wrap us up for the week unless you had anything else you wanted to add to this week's discussion. Gosh, no, I'm still amazed that I managed to do both of the things that I said that I was gonna do this week. I know, right? Amazing, but... So that will wrap us up for the week. So make sure to check out PixladyGeek.com for all the book reviews, the movie reviews, the comic book reviews, the photo galleries no conventions yet so maybe we'll have to throw in a fan art gallery at some point I think Probably. so yeah and um, it's not too much longer before we're into February and we'll finally get Night veil vale episodes again oh yeah yeah we've got uh, the return of Saga this week so oh, I will hopefully have I'm, a review of that I'm so scared oh my god that's gonna just rip our hearts out also the next arc in the magic order is starting up this week as well so I'll have a couple comic book reviews so nice yeah. you know what there was something that I had meant to come back oh yes there was that one thing okay comfort blanket podcast if you haven't listened to it There's so many options. It's just you know interviewing people about something that they really, really like that brings them joy. And Mm -hmm. this last week was um, the old Doctor Who series. And they go into all of these details about what it meant to be a child growing up with that series and all the different things that it means and everything, like all the reasons why the show should never have been able to happen and yet it really did. But one thing they pointed out, they talked about the fact that a lot of British mythology doesn't really have an underworld like Hades or something. It has an mm-hmm. otherworld like oh. Avalon or like Narnia, which you can access, oh, of course, through a wardrobe. And yeah. then there was a, a cut out of that. And the host was talking and he said... That this is like a coincidence, the sort of coincidence that you really love. So, C.S. Lewis died on November 22nd, 1963. The first episode, the very first Doctor Who episode, aired on November 23rd, 1963. Oh, wow. So make of that what you will. Oh, that's lovely. I love people who dig up stuff like that. That's I know, just right? Yeah, oh. and it's like, and I, I told that to Nathan, and Nathan said, and um, Kennedy was assassinated on November 23rd, 1963. And I'm like, oh, well, that's less heartwarming. But I was about to say, that's slightly more of a downer, but it is still true. I'm sure we could fit it in there. But oh, So I, I was trying to think that maybe, you know, C.S. Lewis, he regenerated into to the doctor I'm like no the wardrobe regenerated into the TARDIS oh my goodness oh my (laughs) goodness yes oh love it ah also comfort blanket podcast that is a really fun podcast for crying out loud they did it's a wonderful life which I am aware that that movie exists and I have watched it a few times at Christmas and all that kind of stuff it's great to listen to two people who love it so much and There is so much more going on with that movie than you ever thought. I was delighted. I was like, my God, it gave, I mean, I'm like, I'm actually looking forward to the next time that that movie comes on. I'm like, holy crap. Yeah, I think we all need some good-hearted stuff. And I think that podcast really fits the bill. So another thank you to Hannah Wallace for suggesting that particular one. Holy crap, yes. But anyway, all that and more, pixelatedgeek.com. Uh, next week we'll have Laura Olympus and then the week after that we will have the return of Night Vale yes indeed I'm sure other things we're going to watch Wade really wants us to just watch the first episode of the Hunters TV show on Prime Mm -hmm. it's available on Prime he said if you just watch the first episode and you don't like it then you don't need to watch anything more and I'm like right, we take that challenge yeah but one way or the other we will talk to everybody in one week talk to y'all later (laughs) going to go blind keep playing was there a siren like that I know right come on dude